0: And as our little ones go back to hear the gospel preached in a fashion appropriate for them, uh, Charles Spurgeon said that Jesus did not say, feed my giraffes, but feed my sheep. And so we want to take the exalted truths of God and put it at whatever level of the shelf the sheep are at. And so our little ones are going away. Would you join me in prayer as we pretend to get ready to open up God's word as well? Father, we come before you now, not as citizens of any nation on earth, but as citizens of heaven. And we come not as those who proudly and defiantly threw off a king, but as those who humbly submit ourselves to the King of Kings. We come here to celebrate not America, but Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so we are grateful for the independence that was purchased for us from sin, from Satan, from death, from hell, at the sacrifice of your Son. And so, Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you have given us your inspired and errant word to teach us truths, to let us live life wisely and well, that when we stand before you someday, although none of us will be justified on our own deeds or merits, that we will be accountable for what we do. And so we thank you for making your word and will clearly known to us. Would you now grant us the grace to be able to receive it, to apply it, and the strength to become more like Christ daily until he returns for us? And we ask this in His glorious and wonderful name, amen. Well, in 1993, a biologist doing research at Stanford University began collecting stories of fatal folly, of people who did epically stupid things that cost them their lives. And then she began forwarding these stories to her friends who forwarded them to the friends who began to forward her stories of accounts of epic folly. That eventually resulted in a website and a series of books called the Darwin Awards. They were issued, in in her words, to salute the improvement of the human genome by honoring those who have accidentally removed themselves from it in a spectacular manner. (laughs) Recent winners include a California man who ran out of gas, so he got a milk jug, went to the gas station, filled it up, went back, found it wasn't pouring readily into the car, So he took out a cigarette lighter and decided to melt the the milk jug into the form of a funnel, which was a brief experience. There was the South Carolina man who thought that he would just siphon off some free electricity from a nearby power line, so he leaned his aluminum ladder up against a conductor, took booster cables, and that was the end of that story. (laughs) There were the two Texans going in Louisiana that came to a drawbridge that was raised and not wanting to be delayed, floored their Chevy Cruze and fell short of clearing the gap. And then with these awards are runners-up who didn't lose their lives but were spared. The Coast Guard in Florida found a woman 75 75 feet out from the beach in four feet of water chumming the water with fish bait because she had seen fins and wanted to attract the dolphins to feed. But fortunately, the Coast Guard cutter was able to arrive and pull her out before the 10 sharks that she had summoned were able to enjoy their meal. So, we laugh at folly because foolishness can sometimes be funny, but according to the Bible, folly is no laughing matter. Fools are those that we are to avoid, to avoid their example, to not employ. Here are some of the biblical imperatives about how to describe a fool and how to respond to a fool. According to the Bible, fools hate knowledge, lack sense, despise wisdom and instruction, and therefore they die for a lack of understanding. Fools in the Bible are arrogant and careless, deceitful and short-tempered, quarrelsome and divisive. They spout folly, spread slander, speak perversions, and are ruined by their babbling and their complacency. They delight at wickedness, mock at sin, reject discipline, refuse to turn away from evil, And keep like a dog returning to their folly like a dog does to his vomit. Therefore, Scripture says, the companion of fools will suffer harm because as we know, fools oftentimes have collateral damage for those around them. Leave the presence of a fool. Let a person meet a bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. Like an archer who wounds everyone is the one who hires a fool. You're just causing harm to everyone if you give them some authority, some influence, some responsibility that they're not able or willing to meet. So we are to avoid the company of fools. We are to beware fools. We are to not hire fools. We're not to send messengers by fools. Most of all, we are not to be fools, which is the topic of our message this morning. This summer, we're looking at wisdom, how to grow in wisdom, which the Bible defines as skill in living. So some of y'all are skilled at driving cars, flying planes, operating machinery, or computers, but biblically a wise person is one who is skilled at living. One who can navigate life well because they live it according to God's Word. And last week we looked at wisdom's virtues. The virtues that we need to acquire, preserve, and pass on if we and our families are to live wisely and well. And as Zach said, today we're going to look at the flip side of that we must also avoid folly's vices. These are the things that we need to either avoid or to abandon or to warn our kids and loved ones of because these are the things that will ruin a life. So let's look at five of these. We saw five wisdom's virtues last week. Self-control, righteousness, integrity, humility, and trusting God. Uh, one of the ladies in our midweek discussion groups came up with a helpful acronym SHIRT that I wish I had thought of. So, self-control, humility, integrity, righteousness, trust in God is much better than what I came up with last Sunday. Today's vices are the flip side of those. Indiscipline, wickedness, treachery, pride, and scorning God. The best acronym I could come up with was TWIPS, which isn't helpful at all if there's any more creative people out there. So wear your shirt and don't be a twip, as I guess is going to be the twofold message of the two messages. Self-control, we said, is both in the areas of self-denial, of being able to say no to our flesh, no to the world, no to our passions. But also self-discipline to make ourselves do what is right. Indiscipline is the opposite of those. It is always caving in to our impulses. It is being ruled by our appetites, by our passions, by our moods, by our emotions. It's not having the ability to control ourselves, to make ourselves do the right thing, to avoid the wrong thing. And undisciplined people are on a course to self-destruction. We all know people who are in the midst of chaotic lives that are often in crisis because they're controlled by their moods, not their minds. Because every impulse is something they yield to. And so they're constantly growing in in debt because they see something, they buy it impulsively, and then the debt accumulates and they just end up with more than they could ever use, unable to pay for what they have because they can't control the impulse. And the Bible especially warns us against indiscipline in four main areas. The first of all is a fool always loses his temper, but a wise person holds it back. Those who are short tempered, those who are constantly in a rage, those who can't control their fury and their anger, whether it's in their heart, in their mind, with their words, with their actions, are foolish people that ruin their lives and harm those around them. So I remember Fourth of July, I had a friend that made a ton of money selling fireworks, so he was always able to get an extra stash. And they like to flick firecrackers. Any of y'all somehow spare fingers from this folly? but he didn't want to flick them, had them land on the ground and explode. So he would cut the fuses to then be able to light it with the Twizzler and then hopefully flick it in time to get the burst in the air that was more spectacular. And that's not what we want to be like, is short fused that go off in our hands or in the face of someone else. We want to lengthen our fuses and then we want to dampen them. And then we want to coat them with an inflammable coating because quick tempered, short tempered people are foolish and they ruin their lives and those around them. Likewise, those that can't control their language. Proverbs twenty nine twenty says, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Now, have y'all heard the phrase text regret? Where you texted something, hit send, and immediately regretted it. And there's actually apps out there now that are supposed to be able to track those down and delete them from the recipient's phone before they're able to read them or at least hold you accountable to them. But we live in an age of an instantaneous response. And of course, in the modern age, that unthinking, hasty text can hit the internet, hit Twitter, and it spreads across the world. And there are people who have ruined their lives because of one hasty thought. So I read a long article about a woman who was a journalist and she was saying, please hear my story and heed my warning lest you become like me. So she had, was a journalist who was sent by her newspaper to South Africa on a story. And when she left Dulles Airport, she sent a quick text and then got on the plane. And from the time it took her to get from DC to Johannesburg, that had been sent, forwarded, hit Facebook, hit face, social media, And by the time she got off the plane and turned her phone back on, it was exploded with her reputation and her career had been destroyed in the time it took to send a text, turn off a phone, get on a plane and land, and her life was ruined. And that's the world we live in. Uh, There are now email apps that you can apply that have a delayed response from Send, that it sits in your folder for an extra 30 seconds to make sure did you really want to send that? And we have to be able to control our tongue, especially today. Um, in God's sense of humor, uh, yesterday I was on a text thread, and I made a really bad joke, and immediately I regretted it, and I just sent out Proverbs 29.20 to these people. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. I'm sorry, that was a dumb joke, ill taste, forgive me. And We just do it and we have to be able to control our tongues. Thirdly, we have to be able to control our impulses. The Proverbs say that everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. So when I was in high school, my two favorite t-shirts came from an entrepreneurial organization called the CEO Club. And one of the shirts said on the front, I am their leader. And on the back it said, where have they gone? That was a great shirt. But the other one, and I love this shirt, I don't know where it went now, but it said ready, fire, aim, because that was kind of the motto of the entrepreneurs, ready, fire, aim, which sounds inspiring, but is absolutely stupid. No one would take out a firearm and just fire off without aiming, without knowing your target, making sure you had a dead aim, making sure that no one was in the line of fire. But that's how a lot of people live their life. You see a person, you're attracted, you fall in love, you instantly either fall into immorality or to a hasty marriage, and then you learn that that was a foolish decision. Or you're on a trip, you're attracted to someone, and in a moment of just blind lust, you commit an act of infidelity that throws away your reputation and your family. Or you're in a job, make a hasty decision, commit some act of crime or embezzlement or of cover-up, And immediately you have ruined your name and your family and your career. And we live in a time of hasty, impulsive decisions. We buy this, sell this, quit this job because the manager can't speak to me this way. Ruin this relationship because they offended us over some comment they make. And we throw away our lives and our jobs and our careers and our families because we're just hasty. We're impulsive. And the Bible says in our modern terminology, Haste makes waste. Hasty decisions are foolish decisions. We have to slow down to consider the consequences, to count the cost, to reason out the options, to glean counsel, to go to God's word, to pray, or we make decisions that we regret. Finally, we have to be able to control our appetites and our laziness. The book of Proverbs says that the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. In today's New York Times, actually Wall Street Journal, there's a story about a baseball player, a New York Yankees pitcher, who just came out with his memoirs and the way that he threw away his life with alcohol. And he would be sober on the game, but as soon as he left the mound, it was something and sprite. And this is the account of don't be like me. I read a story yesterday about a person who got into a coke habit that cost him $10,000 a week, which at that rate bleeds out however much money you make. And notice it doesn't say that they are poor, they come to poverty. They had money, but then they drank it away, or they gambled it away, or they snorted it away, or they whatever. They had it, they lost it because they couldn't control themselves. They were indisciplined in these areas. Or the other thing is with laziness, drowsiness, slothfulness, laziness will clothe one in rags. You didn't start out that way, but you ended up that way. And so my senior year of college, my brother and I lived with, there were five of us in the dorm. Uh, Two of us were morning people, so we got one room together. And he ended up being a CPA, and he was diligent motivated, one of the most disciplined people I've ever known. Uh, another the guy became a petroleum engineer. David got his business degree. I was always studious. And then there was the fifth wheel and he kind of just kind of ambled along and moseyed along. And at the end of the semester, at the end of the year, we knew it was finals week and he was dead asleep on the couch. And so Dave wakes him up and says, don't you have a final now? Oh man, I overslept it and laid back down. And he didn't end up going the same path as everybody else in that apartment because he just couldn't make himself do what needed to be done when it needed to be done. And so the Bible warns us against indiscipline, about being indisciplined with our temper, indisciplined with our tongues, indisciplined with our decisions, or indisciplined in being unable to control our appetites, our impulses, or our laziness. And the book of Proverbs would say, don't be foolish learn to be disciplined. Secondly, the Bible warns us against wickedness. So the virtue of wisdom is righteousness. The vice of folly is wickedness, which is unrighteousness, which is moral depravity, which is immorality, which is disobedience to God's law. And there are a number of natural consequences to wickedness that the Bible warns us against. First of all, the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. There are natural consequences to having a disobedient life. So mom and dad had different philosophies of parenting. Mom always fretted over us. We lived for a while in Montana, Nebraska, and we were eager to get outside and just dash out with a light je- uh, blazer rather than a coat and gloves. And mom would say, put on a coat, put on gloves, put on a hat. And dad would say, well, leave them alone, they'll learn. And we would dash out in the cold, get frigid, get cold, come back in numb. And we wouldn't leave house without a coat again, because there was an irresponsible decision. There were consequences we learned. And the Bible says that when we disobey God, there are consequences to those decisions. If you choose to commit crime, that's why we have law enforcement. If you choose not to do your work, there are consequences. And so when we choose to live a wicked life, we choose a hard path. The Bible says that the years of the wicked will be shortened. That just by abusing our bodies by neglecting our bodies by putting ourselves around dangerous companions or in dangerous situations we shorten the life which is the only life that we have they say in texas that the two most famous last words are hold my beer and hey watch this and you do a dumb thing in a moment of just folly there's someone sitting here whose dad when he was in high school they used to do what's called surfing that they had a convertible and one person would drive, and the other person would stand up on the passenger seat, put his feet underneath the headrest, lean into the wind while the car's going at 40 miles an hour. And that was surfing, which counted for fun in Sanger in the 1970s. And they risked their life for a moment of adrenaline. And so you can shorten your life. When the wicked perish, there is joyful shouting. That when a wicked person dies, people celebrate it. Uh, It's like the Wizard of Oz, ding dong, the witch is dead. And you don't want people to celebrate your demise. And then the Bible says that the memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. That we leave a negative reputation that goes down and taints our family. So this week I saw that two dear saints left to be home with the Lord and There was this immediate going out of the heart because these were giants of the faith Uh, one was an oral surgeon a dentist who just gave of his time and his talents to help people who couldn't afford dental work the other was a retired military officer who just gave and gave and gave and supported and then i was at a wedding last night and talking to a gentleman that lost his wife six months ago and he just went on and on about what a great saint of a wife that god had given him and how 65 years of marriage wasn't enough And there was a legacy left. There was a name that was left. People mourn their passing. But the wicked, when they pass, their memory rots. These are the natural consequences. But more significant is the Bible warns us of divine retribution to those who live disobedient, defiant lives. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. There is never a time that God does not see where we're at, what we're thinking, what we're feeling, what we're saying, what we're doing. Every action is accountable. I was at a building yesterday and they had big signs. It was in a rough neighborhood and it said, cameras on premises. And they were trying to let people know you're being watched. So be careful. And the Bible says God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. We do not commit any that God does not know. We do not violate any of His laws that He does not see and we're going to be held accountable for that because the Bible says the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. He's not indifferent to our actions. He's not indifferent to our disobedience. God is holy and He hates unholiness. He condemns the one who does evil and assuredly the evil person will not go unpunished. There is coming a day of reckoning when each one of us will stand before God and we will answer for every evil act that we did and every unrighteous act that we left, or unrighteous, every righteous act that we left undone will be exposed. Uh, Have y'all seen the Johnny Cash video? It's one of the most prominent videos that's ever been done. You can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time but sooner or later, God's gonna hunt you down. And it's a sober song, son in his great uh, baritone voice that the family called The Gift, is what the family called Johnny Cash's voice. But what's so sobering about this video is a series of actors and actresses who did not fear God are voicing the lyrics to the song. And so here are notorious public sinners. Here are infamously immoral people singing about God's judgment, and yet, so far as we know, not doing anything about it. And it's terrifying because we're going to be accountable. So the foolish life is the wicked life because there are natural consequences that we suffer, and there is a divine judgment coming someday. Sometimes I'll sin and I'll think to myself, I'm only here by God's grace. He made me. He's given me life. I'm only Sustained in life this moment because God is allowing my heart to beat, my lungs to breathe. He's giving me light. He's giving me life. And everything that I want in life is dependent on God, on his grace, on his mercy. Everything that I do is accountable to God. Why would I provoke him? Why would I provoke him? Have you ever seen someone come across a snake and they'll toy with it with a stick? Or you'll see someone mess with a dog until the dog snaps at them? Uh, I was talking to someone once who had done this really terrible thing in his marriage. He said, I'm just stirring up the hornet's nest. I'm like, brother, you shouldn't store up hornet's nest. That's not wise. That's foolish. So the Bible says, don't be fools. Don't live wickedly. Next, the Bible says, don't be treacherous. The foolishness of fools is deceit. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Because trust is the basis of relationships. And when we deceive, when we violate trust, then we ruin our name, we ruin our reputation, and we ruin the relationships in our life that are dependent upon our being trustworthy. So deceit in all of its forms is always going to be harmful to us and those around us. There are certain forms of deceit that Proverbs especially warns against. One is deceit in business. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. So back in the day when you would have these physical scales and you would put a product like tea leaves on one side, you would weigh it out and then that would be the quantity you gave for the quantity of money you received. But you could tinker with the scales and therefore give them less for their money. And so this proverb warns us against any forms of cheating a customer of anyone that would have a bait and switch anybody that would have false leaders anyone that would monkey with a scale anybody that would give too little for what we received anybody that checks in late and checks out early anyone that was paid for an hour's work and gave 55 minutes labor any time that we're deceiving anytime that we're cheating in business the bible says god sees and that's an abomination to him because he is a just God. He is a fair God. He is an equitable God. And he wants people treated right. So, probably most of y'all have seen Les Miserables. And there's that great figure, Thenardier, who is the master of the house, the keeper of the zoo. And here's his song ready to relieve him of a sou or two. Food beyond compare, food beyond belief. Mix it in the mincer and pretend it's beef. Kidney of a horse, liver of a cat, filling up the sausages with this or that. Charge them for the lice, extra for the mice. 2% for looking in the mirror twice. Here's a little slice, there a little cut. 3% for sleeping with the window shut. When it comes to fixing prices, there are lots of tricks he knows. How it all increases, all them bits and pieces. Isn't it amazing how it grows? And Tenardier, this depraved person, is cheating his clients in every way that he can. And the Bible says, be honest in your business. It also says to be honest with how we present ourselves. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of his gifts falsely. So here is the caution for us as we are preparing our LinkedIn profile. Uh, Here is the check in our spirit as we prepare our resume. Here when we go in and want the job, we have to be honest to make sure that we can present that we can do the job that when we present ourselves to others, that we present ourselves rightly and honestly and righteously. Here's one that's so significant in God's eyes. It's the ninth commandment given to Moses. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Don't destroy another person's reputation simply because you're angry at them, simply because they hurt you, simply because you resent something they did to you. Don't spread false reports. Don't be a gossip. The Bible says, he who speaks or spreads slander is a fool. If you don't know something to be true, don't pass that on. Don't, be, don't begin sentences that start with, hey, did you hear? Hey, have you heard? Be the break in the circuit that the message went so far and then there was a fallen line. Then that line had been cut and let it just stop with you. Whatever you do, don't slander another person. Don't gossip about another person. Don't be a conduit of negative comments that aren't, don't need to be shared or that you don't know for 100% aren't true. We have to guard against all forms of treachery. And then we need to guard against pride, which is the fundamental vice. Listen to these Proverbs. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, he will not go unpunished. Let me say that again. So here is almighty God, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-holy, the one with whom we have to deal, the one on which all of our hopes and dreams depend. And here is how he feels about arrogance. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, we will not go unpunished if we don't deal with our pride. A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. That we arrogantly think that we can indulge and get away with it, that I can indulge in this and not become addicted to it, that I can do this and not get caught. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Now this is a sobering proverb, given the mantra of our culture, go with your gut, trust your heart, be true to yourself. And that plays well for Disney movies. But in real life, the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all else. Uh, some of you older folks, do you remember when Woody Allen went into that uh, relationship with his, uh, was it his stepdaughter and they asked him how he could do this and throw away his reputation as an actor or director and his response was the heart desires what it desires. The heart wants what it wants and he gave in to it but we can't trust our hearts and a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly broken beyond remedy. That pride goes down on a scale where at first we just think much of ourselves, and then we refuse to seek and receive instruction or counsel, and then we can't be rebuked, we refuse to be accountable, and finally we reach a point where we just have to be broken. And do you remember Nebuchadnezzar when we studied the book of Daniel? When God warned him against his pride that he was the one that put him in his power, and then Nebuchadnezzar is up in his palace walls looking with time and says, look at all that I've accomplished. And God put him as an animal for seven years, outside in the elements with his hair and his nails growing out. And do you remember when he came to his senses and humbled himself before God, what his first words were? I have learned that God knows how to humble a man. (laughs) And much better to be humble than to have God humiliate us. Because pride isn't just being boastful. I remember going on a road trip one time to Mustang Island down on the coast. And the driver was talking about this and that that he had done. And then he goes, but I'm tired of talking about me. Why don't you talk about me for a while? (laughs) Which was funny, but it wasn't. But most times our pride takes the form of we just live like we're the most important person in the universe. That what really matters is what I want to do and I really don't think about how that affects you that I really don't want to do something and so I choose not to do it, whether or not that has consequences for you. We live as though we are the autonomous CEOs of our own lives. So my youngest brother is uh, of, owns a business and he gave me a book called Why CEOs Fail. And the book examined prominent CEOs and if you're a, C, if you're a chief executive officer of a company <laughs> You're intelligent, you're motivated, you're competent, you're educated, you're experienced. You have risen to the top of your profession. But then there have been spectacular failures. Or what they found in their research, 11 typical derailers was their term for it. Why do people study, work, sacrifice, reach the pinnacle of their career and then throw it all away? You know the number 1 derailer of a CEO? Arrogance. Pride that you really don't listen to others anymore. You're really not accountable to anyone anymore, that you really do believe your own press, and now you reach a point where you just topple, you fall. You wouldn't be reproached, you were stiff-necked, you were stubborn, you were hard-hearted, and then they fell. Another book came out a couple years ago that was even more focused. Its title was, Ego is the Enemy. So in a culture that promotes self-esteem and how do you self-promote, Ego is the enemy. We are the enemy. And so, the Bible warns us don't be a fool, don't be proud. Finally, the ultimate vice is scorning God. Where we become what the book of Proverbs calls, depending on your translation, a scoffer or a mocker. So, this isn't just a gullible person who became a fool, a fool who became a wicked person. This is someone who was foolish and wicked to the point where now they wrote God off and were openly defiant and dismissive against God. They don't merely not try to hide their disobedience. They flaunt it fragrantly. They celebrate it. It is open defiance against God. And the Bible warns us, Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The scoffer is an abomination to men and to God. He will not listen to rebuke. And a scoffer does not love one who reputes him. He will not go to the wise. The key to wisdom biblically is fearing the Lord, of honoring Him, of being in awe of Him, of revering Him, and of fearing His discipline and judgment. Which is why the essential virtue of wisdom is trusting God. That I trust what He says to be true, and therefore I trust that what He commands to be right, and I know that if I do things God's way, that's going to live to the life well lived that I want. The opposite of that is someone who openly scorns and dismisses God. And now all that waits for them is to be broken if, they're, if they receive that mercy or to die in their defiance and to face God someday. Don't be scornful. Don't mock God. Don't be a fool. So in 1984, an historian named Barbara Tuckman wrote a book called The March of Folly. And the March of Folly went all the way back to ancient Troy where the Trojans foolishly allowed the wooden horse into the city with the men hidden inside. And she just went through history to look at prominent leaders who made such disastrous decisions that it was terrible for themselves and those that they were supposed to lead. And what she examined is what was the common factor that could lead to someone to such a self-destructive decision and went all the way from Troy up to the Vietnam War. And some of the American decisions that have been foolish for our country. And what she determined is that was so irrational, that was so unwise, that was so self-destructive, that was so counterproductive to their own people that the only answer is it was folly. It was pure foolishness. And all of us in our lives can testify that we have had marches of folly, haven't we? That there have been times that we have been hasty in our words, and our actions, that we have been indisciplined with our impulses and in giving in to our appetites, that we have been deceitful in various ways, that we have been arrogant, and there are times that we have been defiant against God. And so the appeal to Proverbs this morning is stop the march (laughs) about face and start walking according to God's truth. Start living according to the virtues of self-control and righteousness and integrity and humility and trusting God because that's what's going to lead to the life you want to lead for yourself and for your family in this life. If you want to ruin your life, if you want to destroy a life, then live a life of indiscipline, of wickedness, of deceitfulness, of arrogance, and of scorning and mocking God. A path of wisdom, path of folly, the path to life, the path to death. If you've been foolish, because all of us have, then let's repent. Let's abandon our folly and start living wisely, that we can have the life that God intends for us. And take hope, because ultimately we enter into heaven not because we lived perfectly wisely. None of us have, none of us will, none of us can. And no matter how big of a fool we've been for how long, there is forgiveness. Because Christ paid the penalty for our folly. He died to pay the penalty for all of our sins, to make up for all of our mistakes. And His perfect life that He lived wisely, He gives all of that righteousness to us if we will just simply say to God, I am a sinner, forgive me. Jesus, save me. And He will. If you've made mistakes up to the point of being a condemned thief on a cross with your last breath, if you will say, remember me this day when you come in your kingdom, And Jesus will. No one is beyond hope. The greatest folly is to persist in your folly until you die, and then there's no hope. But while there's life, there's hope. And so on this Independence Day, let's find our independence from the folly that has brought so much harm to our life, to the lives of others, and let's live the wise and the virtuous life that God commands us and intends for us and will bless if we follow it. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that we are often foolish. We often act in defiance of your law and therefore to our own harm, to our own destruction and those around us. And so we thank you that you have given us an entire book of our Bibles, appealing us to be wise, appealing to us to abandon folly. Would you grant us the grace to walk wisely, to live righteously, to follow after you humbly, to live in our integrity, to trust in you with all that we believe and do. Would you forgive us our follies and help us to walk more righteously, abandoning those vices for the virtues of Christ? And we'll ask this in his name, amen.